Welcome to Traveling Culturati, where we explore cultures and share travel news, travel tips, destinations, and travel chats. Visit TravelingCulturati.com for more information. Well, hey there, fellow Culturati. Javon Harley here, your host and travel pro for Traveling Culturati. Make sure you join the Travel Club. Why? Because you'll be the first to know when we're on the go and you get to be part of fantastic destinations, group of travelers, and you'll get to see and do some wonderful things. The website is travelingculturati.com. So go ahead and join in on the fun. Today, healthcare professional Yolanda Como is starting us off with another edition of staying healthy while you travel and looking at the global health of the year ahead. We'll also have Javon's Travel Minute and the Culture Report. But you know what time it is. It's travel news time. A list has been updated. That's the world's list of most powerful passports in 2024. Now, for the past five years, Singapore and Japan have had the world's most powerful travel documents. Now, what do we mean by this? That means that your passport can get you into countries without a prior visa requirement. And so things have really changed this year. So what has changed Four European countries have moved up to the top spot. And this is according to the Henley Passport Index of 2024, alongside of these Asian nations. So residents of France, Germany, Italy and Spain now have visa-free access to 194 of the 227 destinations, three more than they had last year. South Korea, Sweden, and Finland all climbed one spot to take the second place with the most access of 193 locations. Austria, Denmark, Ireland, and the Netherlands shared third place, allowing 192 places. The United Kingdom is currently ranked number four with access to 191 destinations. And unfortunately, the United States has dropped to number seven, only 188 destinations. A decade ago, the two countries shared the top spot. And comparing this year's list to 2014, ranking reveals some other major shifts. For example, the United Arab Emirates was the fastest climber over the past decade. They are now in 11th place, where they can see a 183 destinations without a visa. And China up two spots this year to land at 62nd place. They have visa-free access to 85 destinations. The average number of destinations travelers are able to access visa-free are nearly doubled as well, from 58 in 2006 to 111 in 2024. However, as we enter the new year, the top ranked countries are now able to travel to a staggering 166 more countries or destinations visa-free than places like Afghanistan, which is still at the very bottom of the ranking with only 28 countries they can visit without a visa. Go ahead and use that passport. It's got some power. What else can we look forward to in travel of 2024? Domestic airfares will fall car rental rates will climb, fuel prices will drop, hotel rates will go up, and there are some new travel requirements on the horizon, especially 
in Europe. However, the European Travel Authority will not take place in 24. It has been delayed to 2025. You can expect Europe's new entry and exit system called the EES. The new system collects biometric information on travelers and could slow down your next airport transit. So make sure you want to give yourself extra connecting time if you're connecting through Europe. Now, recently, the Boeing 737 MAX had an issue. It was a terrifying Alaskan Airlines incident that happened a week ago that left a hole in the side of a Boeing 737 MAX 7. Now, this has certainly raised some safety concerns. But if you haven't been following it, basically what happened and the reason that the piece of the aircraft came undone was because of a plug, which is where there was a door that was sealed off because that door is not being used. So it was that plug that caused the issue. And they were done on the Boeing 737 MAX 9. Alaska Airline, the airline that had the incident, did ground those planes during that time. Some of them will go back after safety checks, will go back into operations. And also keep in mind that not all Boeing 737 MAX 9s had that retrofit or that amendment or altercation to the aircraft where they sealed off a door that's not being used. So what do you need to know? How long will the planes be grounded? The timeline for a certain return of service is really unclear. The FAA's Emergency Airworthiness Directive prohibits flights by the U.S. airlines or in U.S. territories of all Boeing 737 MAX 9 aircraft that have had the mid-cabin door plug installed until they pass inspection. So again, not all Boeing 737 MAX 9 aircraft had the amendment. United Airlines said it had canceled 167 Boeing 737 MAX 9 flights this past Wednesday as it awaits the final approval on the full inspection process. But they do expect significant cancellations. A large airline like United Airlines can use other aircraft. So in those cases, rather than canceling flights, they would move travelers to other aircraft for the same route. The FAA said that Boeing is revisiting its instructions to operators for inspections and maintenance of the affected 737 MAX 9 aircraft. Now, the FAA order applies to the United States, but what about operations of this model elsewhere? Well, the FAA ordered grounding of 171 of the world's 737 MAX 9 aircraft. There are 215 in service. Now, some airlines flying aircraft with the door plugs have followed the FAA's lead and grounded their planes. But some international carriers operate MAX 9s that are not affected because they don't have the mid-cabin door plug. Mexico's Aeromexico and Copa Airlines in Panama are among the international carriers with the most 737 MAX 9 aircraft in their fleet. Turkish Airlines, which has five of the aircraft in its 400-plus plane fleet, said it will withdraw the aircraft from its fleet, but it shouldn't result in any flight cancellations. And how have flight operations been affected? Well, hundreds of flights were canceled on both United and Alaska Airlines, the two U.S. carriers using the 737 MAX 9, and the airlines have been able to shuffle equipment and accommodate some of those passengers on other aircraft. But the grounding was still affecting operations last week. 
So we should see that clear up now. And as I mentioned before, airlines with larger fleets will generally have an easier time just changing out the aircraft itself. Now, what to do if your flight is canceled? Because of this grounding, first and foremost, you will get a refund. Under federal law, if an airline cancels or significantly changes your flight, no matter the cause, you're entitled to a full cash refund if you choose not to travel. If you want to still make the trip, the airline will reaccommodate you on a different flight. And the simplest way to do this self-service through the airline's mobile app, or you can call up the airline to rebook and this would be free of charge. The big question is, is it still safe to fly? Well, David Susi, an aviation safety analyst for CNN and former FAA safety inspector, is taking a wait and see approach on the Boeing 737 MAX 9 while the investigation continues to pinpoint the exact source of the problem. Susie said he has called on Boeing to offer more details about when the aircraft interior on the Alaska Airlines plane involved in the incident was installed, which could indicate whether Boeing or the airline last worked on the door plug in question. Boeing is certainly employing and all hands on deck to address the problem and the issue. And how can you figure out what type of airplane you're flying on? Well, it's on your ticket. It's on your reservation or in the details. When you go to the website and click on the flight, it'll give you all of the information, not just the departure and arrival time, but also the type of aircraft will be listed there as well. MLK's birthday and day of celebration is here. Martin Luther King Jr. was born and raised in the American South, but his dream of racial equality and social justice is known the world over. And he has traveled to many places outside of the United States. So looking to celebrate and retrace some of the footsteps of Martin Luther King Jr. and celebrate this holiday and the year to come, because this is a person that you can really celebrate year round and be interested in the sites and destinations and places that he visited and sites that are significant to the life and legacy of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Atlanta, of course, is a major destination that you can honor this coming holiday and day of celebration. The historic Ebenezer Baptist Church is one of Atlanta's most cherished sites. But there's also the MLK Jr. National Historical Park in Sweet Auburn neighborhood of downtown Atlanta, including the tombs of Martin Luther King Jr. and Coretta Scott King. Some of those sites include the Ebenezer Baptist Church. His birth home is a two-story house where he was raised. The King Center, the Morehouse College is just a few steps away. In Memphis, Tennessee, there's the National Civil Rights Museum, the Lorraine Motel, and the restaurant Four Way. It opened in 1946. It serves Southern favorites like fried chicken, turnip greens, and lemon meringue, which was said to be Martin Luther King Jr.'s favorite. Montgomery, Alabama, there's the lynching memorial that remembers the forgotten. His coordination of the long bus strike after Rosa Parks famously refused to yield. The National Museum for Peace and Justice, the Legacy Museum, which is the indoor part of the memorial, 
Equal Justice Initiative, Rosa Parks Museum, Dexter Avenue King Memorial Baptist Church, Dexter Parsonage Museum. You can also make a stop and enjoy some food at Brenda's Barbecue. Then in Birmingham, Alabama, the Birmingham Civil Rights Institute has the jail door from King's incarceration. The Birmingham Civil Rights Institute and the Kelly Ingram Park, which was a gathering spot for the Southern Christian Leadership Conference. And then Washington, D.C., the Martin Luther King Jr. Memorial, a beautiful site, the Lincoln Memorial, where his famous I Have a Dream speech was conducted on the steps, the National Museum of African American History and Culture, and in Boston, Massachusetts, several cities in the South claim part to King's legacy. So it may surprise you that there are some sights to see in New England. So before returning to the South, King attended Boston University. You may also want to go to the grounds of the impressive Massachusetts State House, where King addressed a joint session of the legislature in April 1965. And just ahead of MLK Day 22, Foot Memorial called the Embrace was scheduled to be unveiled on January 13th in Boston Common Park. Well, that's all I've got for travel news. And again, wishing you a happy holiday and hopes to celebrate, maybe learn something more that you didn't know about Dr. Martin Luther King or just honor him and his legacy and for all that he did for the civil rights movement. When I come back, I'm joined by healthcare professional Yolanda Como with the world's travel health picture for 2024. This is Traveling Culturati. We explore cultures and destinations. We share travel news and travel tips to keep you well informed and prepared for your next travel adventure. So go ahead and up your travel game with Traveling Culturati. Visit TravelingCulturati.com for more information. Welcome back to the Traveling Culturati. I'm your host and travel pro, Javon Harley. Yes, we are still saying Happy New Year. We're still in the month of January. So yes, Happy New Year to you. Make sure you head on over to the website, travelingculturati.com, and that you join the Travel Club. We have some exciting places that we'll be going for 2024, and we're already planning for 2025. So you want to make sure that you're going to be the first to know when we're on the go. And now, Javon's Travel Minute. The beginning of the year is a good time to take stock in your travel statuses and reward programs. You'll want to evaluate your credit cards for rewards, ditch the ones that don't pay, and get new ones that do. Check your credit card rewards for activation if there's anything that you need to do. Also, check your activity levels. Make sure rewards are not set to expire because of lack of usage. Check any programs you can cross-connect, like hotels and rental cars. For travel insurance, make sure you have it. If you travel often, get the annual policy and then supplement along the way for each trip if it's not covered under the annual policy maximums. At least you'll have the basics covered. Is there an airline or hotel program that is on the verge of going to the next level? Well, put your efforts there. Check your passport expiration date and validity of your passport requirement for any destination you have on your travel list. Clean out and restock your toiletry bag if you keep one packed. 
stay ready and ready to go in 2024. This is Javon, and that was your Travel Minute. Joining me today and for the first time for 2024 is our healthcare professional, Yolanda Como, here with another installment of Staying Healthy While You Travel. And since it is the new year, we want to tackle what's happening and what we have to look for in 2024. Hello, Yolanda, and welcome to Traveling Culturati. Hello, Javon, and Happy New Year. Happy, happy New, new Year. Yes, Happy New Year to you. We knew what we wanted in 2021 <laughs> is we wanted to get out of the house. Going 21 to 22, you know, we were all venturing out and we were really focused on COVID and how can we travel? Where can we travel? COVID tests and the pandemic and vaccinations and all of that. In 22 to 23, it was a lot less of that. So many countries stopped COVID vaccination requirements. So many of them stopped the testing where you had to present a negative COVID test to travel. As a matter of fact, in 23, I don't think I needed to present that at all, either of the two. Mm -hmm. So 23 into 24, we're now into 24. Where are we in the scheme of things as far as global health? Well, global health wise, we are back where we started in 2021. The numbers they're seeing for COVID and have been seen before the new year, the numbers have been taking up again with COVID-19, especially with people older and over 60, over 65 years of age. And we are seeing it. The hospitals are seeing it. So the World Health Organizations, they're getting together and they're trying to respond to it. They're trying to see what can they do to get it right this time. What did they do wrong before? How they can prevent that? What did they do in 2021? And what changes are they making so that it doesn't become just an out-of-control pandemic as we all know it was initially? The preparedness was not there, truly. But it did come together and they got it under control. But there are still some issues and they're working them out and they're trying to be more prepared right now. They are getting together to see what they can do right, all the countries, to make sure everybody is safe and secure and managed well. Well, I will tell you from a consumer perspective, from a travel professional perspective, I just kind of felt that when all of this happened back in 2020, there was just so much misinformation, so much changing information, and of course, not knowing really what was happening as it was unfolding or learning as we were going. But then we learned that the two prior presidents in the United States, it says it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when, and we just have to be prepared. So I think as a consumer and as a traveler and as a travel professional, we had COVID fatigue, right? We just wanted to go and do something and without having this burden upon us, but we want to be safe and healthy too. But we want to know that one, we're given the proper information so that we can properly prepare ourselves when we travel. And we want to know that our elected officials, and that includes the U.S. and the countries that we're visiting, are on top of things. So what are those talks like as far as not just COVID as it is now? Because, you know, of course, they can focus on COVID and see what new variants and things. And I'd like to know that, too. But as pandemics go as a whole. Well, one thing they are definitely working on, they want to avoid the next pandemic to make sure that low and middle income countries 
are not forced to wait to get vaccines and drugs as developed countries were doing in 2021. As you know, here in the United States, we had the two vaccines ready and we had the big day happen when the first person had their vaccination and everybody around the country started getting in line and running to their doctor's office and stuff. But a lot of those other countries, the underdeveloped countries, they were just waiting. They were waiting and nothing was truly being sent to them until the other countries like, say, United States or even the UK were vaccinating their citizens and making sure that they had enough in stock and demanding that the drug companies or the pharmaceutical companies hurry up and turn out the medication so all of the entire world can be vaccinated. You know, all those who wanted to be vaccinated could be vaccinated. And it wasn't going to cost hundreds and thousands of dollars for that to happen. So those who had could and could receive, but those who did not have or the funds or the opportunity to even get the drug, they were not being vaccinated in a timely manner. And a lot of them, unfortunately, met their demise, their family members or them themselves. And that's one of the things that the World Health Organizations, they're working on. They're getting together with leaders from other countries and say, hey, let's have this discussion. You know, we have to be prepared for 2024. And that's one of the major things that they want to avoid and not happen is the other countries are not suffering while the other, like the bigger countries, uh, well-off countries are getting the goods. And what I saw happening a lot uh, as we were dealing with the pandemic before is that these countries who were vulnerable just had heavier restrictions because they knew they didn't have, one, the hospitalization. For example, in Belize, on those islands, they don't have hospitalization. And then the hospitalization that they have on the mainland is not that great. So those countries were very strict with who can come in, but then that really wreaked havoc on their economy because these countries, in a lot of cases, were very reliant upon tourism, but you couldn't have tourism coming in and infecting the entire country. And then that would have another type of impact on them. So globally speaking, how are those talks really going? They're going. And I don't know if you've ever heard of the pandemic treaty, but that's where the leaders from various countries are getting together and they're meeting, actually they're meeting up right now to discuss, you know, how are we going to do this going forward in 2024? I mean, I know you mentioning that how they had all the strict restrictions and stuff on those countries and not allowing others to come in, but it wasn't the issue too, wasn't just vaccinations or the vaccine. It was also PPEs, like a mask. They weren't able to get small things like masks or even COVID tests. So that's what the treaty is about. They want to make sure that all countries, everything is available to everyone so that they can function. They have the resources where they can test themselves. They have masks to protect themselves on a daily basis. And if those who want to be vaccinated, they can be vaccinated. But all leaders from different countries, they have their own issues. Who's going to supply the funds to give the resources to the countries? Like, even here in the United States, I mean, it doesn't happen with the snap of a finger. The president has to go to Congress and Congress has to approve funding so that, that that can happen, so that monies and resources can go to other countries. And for here in the United States, they have to approve allocations of COVID funds 
And in fact, some of that has run out. So as you know, the president has gone back to Congress and said, hey, we need more funding to keep testing available so people can have availability for testing. You know, you can go to your local pharmacy and you can pick up kits. But when that funding ran out, those resources aren't available. So when the leaders with the treaty are getting together and they're trying to discuss, we know the United States has to fight with their branches of government the Congress and the president, and they have to negotiate if they can get funds. And then other countries have to fight with their leadership in their own countries. So, I mean, it's a lot. The negotiations going on, I think there'll be pushback from each country, but hopefully they can get it together. Everybody can come to an understanding and an agreement so everybody in the world can be healthy and strong and combat COVID. Right, because now they're talking about the new variants and then also RSV and COVID fatigue. When I said COVID fatigue earlier, I meant fatigue in the mental sense, but there is an actual COVID fatigue where some people have that long haul and are really impacted physically with COVID. But the other thing that I wanted to address, because you know, all, so many times we kind of feel citizens of the United States kind of feel like, why is the burden always on us? We know we're a superpower, but we can't facilitate the entire world. So what about some of these other countries? Are they really stepping up? And is it being kind of split up regionally that says, okay, those countries with the means in this region will help out these countries that are kind of in that region and so forth and so on, so that that total burden isn't falling on just one or two countries. Well, that is part of the negotiation. We want everybody to step up and do their part. Yes, the United States may take up the bulk of it because it is a developed country and they see us as having the wealth and the resources and the riches to be able to get the medication and to get the PPEs, the masks, and everything else that they need that involves with COVID to protect people. But Like I said, they're negotiating now who's going to do what, who's going to put how much up, who's going to talk to the pharmaceuticals, and is it going to be shipped through which country to get to where? So all of that's in negotiation. I believe things will be accomplished through it all because leaders getting together and meeting, sitting down and discussing this because they know it's a very important topic because nobody wants to be unprepared in a pandemic again because it was so on display and so obvious in 2019 that everybody was, they weren't on the same page. Yeah, definitely was stressful. So is there any pushback in the United States? Well, of course, because we have partisan members in our government. I mean, the president is a Democrat and then we have the conservatives who are in control of the purse in Congress. So, and they're controlling the monies and, you know, they vote on where money is going, which money is leaving out and what it should go towards. And it's always partisan fight against all of that. So yeah, that's the pushback, but they always come to a consensus and there's always, with you know, in the United States, we negotiate and we have discussions and we debate, but in the end, the money is afforded, the money is agreed upon and the money is pushed out to things like this. So let's say that everything goes according to plan. What will be accomplished? Well, there's negotiations when they come to a close end and everything. All the countries are in agreement. Then everybody wins. Everyone will start seeing an allotment of vaccines of the new variants. And, you know, PPEs, if masks are needed, 
and that's what they're saying. They want everybody to get back wearing their mask, and they should if they haven't started. And you might start seeing more and more restrictions. I know you said a lot of stuff was relaxed, but you may start seeing restrictions again in various countries. Because as I said, the numbers have been taking back up from what I can tell in the hospital. And it has been in the news as well. So if everything goes well, that would be the accomplishment. Everybody, all the countries will be fully stopped with vaccines. And, you know, you can get a new booster and whatever they need, and including what United States has and other countries would need, they would make sure that those countries will have an allotment of resources to take care of the people of that country. Yeah, and I would certainly hope that it's more on the same accord. I know everybody can't be exactly the same, but there were so many different (laughs) restrictions. And, you know, this country required this, and then there were expiration dates, and then this country required this, and then this country required a test within 24 hours, but this one was 36 hours. It it was really maddening. Yeah, it was really maddening. And even here in the United States, there were so many different states that were different. But one thing I often thought about, and before I say that, I will tell you, traveling during this season, because it is the cold flu, and now we have to say COVID and RSV season, and when mm-hmm. I was on the plane, I did wear a mask in the airport and on the plane, but definitely I kept it on while I was on the aircraft. And I went for a window seat instead of an aisle seat because I kind of figured I'm not sitting in that aisle while everybody's walking down. Quite a few people coughing. One thing I think that has now happened without those restrictions is that people are traveling or coming out of the house and mixing and mingling with people when they're sick. That's the problem. Yeah. They don't want to miss the party. They don't want to miss their trip. They're going to take their flight. They're going to go to somebody's party. And, And that has happened. A bunch of Christmas parties has happened. And people had left those holiday parties and they're sick. They and their families. I mean, it's been a lot. Collins, because people are sick. They mingled and they got together and they gathered. And this is flu season. And now it's COVID season. You're going to see COVID is here to stay with us. Yeah, that's really unfortunate. And I've even seen people coughing and sneezing without a mask on. I would at least think if you are sick and let's say you have to take that trip or the cost is just too great or, you know, to lose money, at least wear a mask and help protect people as much as you possibly can. But the question I was going to ask you, because I'm here, I traveled to Washington, D.C., and even in Chicago, we're experiencing very warm weather, which brings me to climate change, global warming. And that has impacted weather as far as storms, patterns, all of these things have changed. And then we have a cold and flu season. So how does that impact infectious diseases or health? Well, it does because, as you know, 2023 was declared the hottest year on record. And it's aiming towards a climate disaster abound around the, the globe. Now, this past December, it was deemed as being the warmest in the history of the city that I'm in now in Chicago. And I mean, on Christmas Day, it was 60 degrees. So (laughs) that's a little scary, but it's a problem because if you think about the vector-borne infection diseases, like pathogens that spread to people from insects like mosquitoes or ticks, well, by the planet warming so much and it's warming in 
places where it shouldn't be warm. It shouldn't be like 100 degrees. What was it? Arizona, where it was like over 120 yeah. degrees for almost a month. I mean, mosquitoes, they carry pathogens and bugs, which can cause Zika, yellow fever. Right now, it's been only seen in Africa. But now you're going to start seeing stuff like that, these infections and diseases in other countries where you've never seen them before. And the reason why is because they're experiencing such warm weather. And because cold kills off a lot of things, too. Exactly. exactly. But this past December here in Chicago was its warmest. I mean, it was, what, 60 degrees on Christmas Day. No snow. It's just rain lightly. No snow, no ice. And usually it's like below 30s. And I mean, 60 degrees. Come on. Yeah. In in D.C., we were out on the deck. (laughs) Yes. People told me that they grill on Christmas Day. I've never heard of that in Chicago. I'm saying, you know, it's absolutely mind boggling. But places like Italy and Spain and in Paris region, they've seen some cases of mosquito-borne illnesses. And United States, they're saying that they have on record in 2023 over 900 cases. So uh, it depends on exactly where you're traveling to. And Puerto Rico had the highest last year of such cases. So climate change can affect globally how these newborn illnesses that we have never imagined that we would ever see in certain countries. So you're talking about these new diseases, but I've also been reading a lot about older things that we talked about when we were children now coming back. One of the things like polio, how much do we need to be concerned about the things that we thought we had eradicated or at least under control coming back? Right. And it is coming back. Polio has been seen in several places here in the United States last year alone in 2023. It's a paralyzing virus that can affect you. And as you know, in childhood, vaccines can ward that off. But in the United States, we kind of eradicated and they did sort of eradicate it throughout the world. But now they're seeing cases, mostly in places like Pakistan and Afghanistan, And it's saying that the reason why is because they're very hard to capture those people to vaccinate. And also there's so many restrictions with the government with allowing such vaccines into the country. Hmm. So that's why you're seeing a lot of cases in that region. But United States is not exempt from it because they had a few cases last year as well. I think they were in New York. And you mentioned yellow fever earlier. I know, for example, with Ghana, they require a yellow fever vaccination. And the United States used to have a vaccine that was every 10 years that is now a lifetime. But are you saying then that there's a possibility we'll start to see more countries requiring a yellow fever vaccination? Yes, including, like you said, United States as well. If the weather continues to be on the scale that it is by being hotter and hotter and hotter, then they suspect that these mosquitoes will begin to carry such diseases and illnesses. And yeah, you will be more at risk of probably catching or being affected with something like a yellow fever or a Zika. Well, with all of that being said, our point is to inform, not to frighten. I'm in the travel business and industry, so I'm going to continue to travel. But we really just have to educate ourselves, know what's going on, be prepared. So what are some of those takeaways that we can provide the audience? What should the traveler know and be prepared for? 
Yeah, be prepared. Know before you go. Do some research about the destination that you're going to. What's required? What's the outbreaks there in that country? And if you do choose to continue to travel there, how can you protect yourself once you get there? Always carry a mask, even if you're not going to an area where COVID is pretty prominent. You know, you still want to have a mask with you because you're traveling on the plane. But a lot of people, like you said, there was a lot of coughing and sneezing and people weren't wearing masks. I would definitely wear something or keep one on myself. See your doctor before you go, definitely. And always, always sign up with traveler's insurance because anything can happen to you. You never know when you're going to need some care at your destination in another country, how you can be medevaced out if you need to, to get to an area where you can be cared for or even come home. So definitely get traveler's insurance and just know before you go, just make sure you do your research, know what's happening, what's available, know that you're going to be protected while you're there, healthy. And again, always know if pharmacies near your destination or your hotel, so medication can be available for you and just stay healthy. When you said maybe having to be medevac, I know a lot of times people don't want to buy travel insurance because especially if you're up in age, the older you are, the more expensive your package is, your travel insurance is going to cost that. So the price of your travel insurance is typically impacted by your age, the price of your trip, the date of your trip from when you purchased your insurance, and sometimes even the state that you live in. But even if you get the least expensive, just make sure it covers health insurance or health care and looking for medevac. And here's one of the reasons I tell you why. I remember years ago, and actually one thing that happened on one of my trips, we were on a remote island in Fiji. She had to be medevaced from that island on a small prop plane to the main island to be in a hospital. And that alone costs 25000 and insurance will pay for that. The other thing is, I remember years ago, a traveler not related or associated with anything that I'm doing took ill in Dominican Republic. And those hospitals said, there's just nothing more that we can do for you. You need more care and He went to fly on a regular flight, commercial flight from there to the U.S. They wouldn't take him because he was too sick or deemed too sick to fly. He did not have insurance, therefore could not afford to be medevaced, which I think would have been anywhere from like 30,000 or so. And unfortunately, he passed away because he couldn't get any more care where he was and he was too ill to fly and he couldn't afford to be medevac. So it's very important to know what kind of medical care you can get at the destination. In November of 23, we went to Belize and on the island of Ambergriski, they have no hospital. So at any rate, you would have to be medevac to the main island, to Belize City for a hospital. And that hospital isn't like we would have in the United States. So it's quite possible you would have to be medevaced to the United States. So when we say medevac, here's what is required. It's not just a plane. You may have to have a private plane, but there's also medical care on board that plane. That's why it's called medevac. One is that it's an urgent situation. And two, you have individuals and you have paraphernalia on board that can Mm -hmm. assist you with medical. Am I correct in that? 
Yes, you are. And they are healthcare professionals, clinicians, and is usually a nurse or a physician as well. And, you know, they're taking care of you there. What are some websites we should check out? Yes, definitely the CDC. And so CDC.gov, yeah. CDC.gov and World Health Organization, the WHO. Yeah, that's WHO.org. Right. And they should keep you updated. And they're always updated with destinations and where it's safe to travel and, you know, just giving you whatever outbreaks are going on in various countries. So, yeah, always check out those sites and, you know, they let you know if it's safe to travel, what you should avoid, various things like that. So what's required before entering. And I would add to those as a travel professional, travel.state.gov, because that's going to be your gateway to any country that you're visiting. They can at least provide you with those links to those particular countries and also links to CDC and to World Health Organization and register for STEP, the Smart Traveler Enrollment Program, because then your country, your state department can assist you when you're in another country, not financially, but they can assist you with resources and that can prove to be very valuable. Well, Yolanda, thank you so much for joining me today and getting us off to a great start in 2024. Oh, sure. Thank you. When we come back, I've got the culture report. This is Traveling Culturati. We explore cultures and destinations. We share travel news and travel tips to keep you well-informed and prepared for your next travel adventure. So go ahead and up your travel game with Traveling Culturati. Visit TravelingCulturati.com for more information. Welcome back to the Traveling Culturati. I'm your host and travel pro, Javon Harley. Make sure you head on over to the website, TravelingCulturati.com. And while you're there, make sure you join the travel club so that you'll be the first to know when we're on the go. And you can travel with. We go to some fantastic and exciting places. And it's always a great group of folks traveling with us. So you'll enjoy that as well. Culture is forever changing and reflecting what's happening in the society and with its people. It can be born of the arts, music, food, and sometimes politics and strife. This is the Culture Report. And when we talk about strife, for example, we all know in 2020 what happened. We had the pandemic, COVID. And you know what? I don't think these illnesses are going away anytime soon. And I think we need to be even more prepared than ever before. Which brings me to my guest, Benjamin Jack, ER physician and creator of Duration Health, because we want to make sure that we're prepared for our travels to come. Hello, Benjamin, and welcome to Traveling Culturati. Hi, Javon. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I think the pandemic taught us a lot. <laughs> and it's not while we say it's over, it's not really over. It's just become part of our norm now. But it has raised the red flag that certainly with traveling that you want to be prepared. You want to be prepared for those things that might happen. And we have to put our health on that list or protecting ourselves on that list. So what can people do to prepare? What can they bring with them in case they get sick during their travels? Sure, you're exactly right that with the pandemic, we saw firsthand the stress on our healthcare system really all over the world, and it especially goes for traveling. Both COVID and everyday illnesses that we you know, had before COVID and continue to have can happen while you're on the road, and it's often the case that you can't rely on the local healthcare system 
to get you out of a jam. So it makes sense to be prepared before you go. So there's a couple of important components to that. It's a good idea to check in with your primary care doctor if you have one before you leave to get any required vaccines, travel vaccines, to get an extra supply of medications that you might take every day. But then there's also the idea of bringing items that you might need if you get sick, everything from over-the-counter items for things like Tylenol or Motrin to a supply of antibiotics in case you run into an infection and you can't get to local care. Absolutely. And I do have an OTC list of items. I, I call it my personal pharmacy. Because <laughs> the thing is, is that in the middle of the night, you have a headache or you feel like you're coming down with a cold or you have allergies and things like that. Sometimes you're not going to be in an area where you can readily get that. The hotel may not have it. And so I like to have that bag with me, that little pharmacy. And I've noticed that some of these things, especially the brands that we know and love, can be quite expensive at a destination in addition to sometimes being hard to find. That's right. And so what we typically recommend carrying are you know some of the OTC items. I already mentioned things like acetaminophen or Tylenol, ibuprofen or Motrin, antihistamines like Benadryl, an antibiotic ointment like Neosporin, an anti-diarrheal medicine is a big one, something like Imodium, aspirin, hydrocortisone cream, and often Dramamine for motion sickness. Those are some of the big over-the-counter items that we like to recommend. And then, of course, there are a set of prescription items that we recommend carrying as well, and we can get into that further. Absolutely. Now, what sort of illnesses are we seeing right now, and what can people do ahead of time? Well, it is cold and flu season, so we're going to see those illnesses here at home and while traveling. So the basics still apply, things like good hand hygiene, covering your mouth when you cough or sneeze staying home when you're sick or staying out of crowded places, in some cases wearing a mask, those kind of basic hygiene principles as far as the respiratory illnesses that we're seeing now. And then for travelers, it's those same illnesses, but then we also have to think about things like malaria, depending on where you're traveling. Foodborne illness is a big one. So Again, washing hands and not eating uncooked food or food from places where you're not able to see what's being cooked or raw foods, that sort of thing. And so those are some of the big ones that we see over and over as far as people getting sick. Now, Duration Health can certainly help navigate all of those things. But in addition, as you mentioned earlier, you have your OTCs, those things, those basic things that you should take with you. But there are going to also be some prescription items that you should take with you. But of course, the operative word here, prescription items. So how does that all work? Sure. So Duration Health is essentially a travel clinic that you bring with you. It's kind of a portable emergency room. So if you've ever had the experience like I have of being sick abroad, and having to find a doctor or pharmacy, that's the problem that we solve. So the way that it works is you go to our website, durationhealth.com. You actually speak with one of our doctors, board certified in emergency medicine and travel medicine experts. You talk with one of our doctors online via video conference before your trip. We go over where you're traveling and make recommendations on what you should bring with you. And then we actually electronically write those prescriptions we dispense the medications into a custom kit and ship it to you before your trip. So you get this 
really neat orange bag with everything inside both those emergency prescriptions and over-the-counter medications. And then you bring it with you so that if you do get sick, you already have everything you need to feel better without that stress of trying to find a doctor or pharmacy in the middle of nowhere, in the middle of an unfamiliar place. So it's the same as you having those OTCs that you're going to pack and take with you. But in this case, it's a prescription medication based on where you're traveling to and what things you can possibly encounter when you're traveling. Right. So it might be helpful to talk through some specific items that we often include. So one that everyone thinks of is antibiotics that I mentioned earlier. So things like azithromycin for travelers, diarrhea, but things that people think of less are, for example, Zofran, which is an anti-nausea medicine. You eat something bad and are throwing up and kind of keeps you from getting dehydrated and again, might help you avoid having to seek local care. Items for motion sickness, like a scopolamine patch that you can put behind your ear to keep from getting motion sick. Anti-malarial medication, so medicine that you take every day to prevent getting malaria. So there's a lot of different items on this list that oftentimes you know, regular primary care doctors might not think about including. And in our experience in travel medicine tend to be really useful and can get people out of some tricky situations. Now, what about the diagnosis part? Because it's great to have these medications, but how do you know what you have? You could have some symptoms that could be one thing or it could be something else and you don't really know until you have a diagnosis. Yeah, that's a great question. And there's a couple of different ways that that happens. So in the worst case scenario, the kits include a printed field guide that walk you through how to use each of these items in that case that you can't reach anyone. But even better, we provide ongoing access to our doctors. You can actually reach back out to us and we can guide you through the process. And the other piece of it is that sometimes you'll find yourself in a situation, especially in very remote areas or areas that lack medical infrastructure where you can get the advice, but you can't get the item that you need or the item that's in that local pharmacy is kind of dubious as to its safety. So at least you have that personal supply with you. Okay. So you do have like an emergency or hotline that travelers can reach out to physicians. Yes. We provide that ongoing support. That's right. So what about in a case, and I asked this because I had this happened on a group program that I had back in September, where unfortunately, one of my travelers put her prescription meds in her checked luggage. And wouldn't you know, her bag did not arrive. <laughs> so we had lost luggage. It took a couple of days to get the luggage, but she was in dire need of that prescription medication. Is that something that Duration Help can assist with? We definitely provide those items for travel, and we would recommend keeping it in your hand luggage, not checking it. If you are already abroad and don't have the item in your hand, we don't provide the service of like, say, overnighting medication to Europe or something like that, just because of regulations around shipping those items. So the way that we operate is we want to put everything in your hands before you leave. So I'm not sure that we could have helped in that particular case other than to provide advice as to where that person might have procured an alternative or what they might have used as an alternative. But I suppose it depends on the exact circumstances. In this case, I kind of suspected that, but I wanted to kind of get ahead of that question. 
part of our traveler's checklist is to make sure that your medications, especially your prescription medications, are on you, on your person. Do not check them. Keep them in your carry-on bag. But unfortunately, you know, she just wasn't thinking and she did that. So we were trying to help out with getting her to a pharmacy and contacting her doctor back in the States to get the exact name and dosage and all of that. But I certainly love this idea of having some of those things in advance. But what is the benefit or the advantage of having this through duration health versus contacting your primary care physician? Yeah, sure. That's a great question. And we want everyone to contact their primary care physician. This is a discussion that you should have in collaboration with your own doctor. But the service that we provide over and above that is expertise in travel medicine. Our board-certified doctors have this specific expertise and have served travelers all over the world. And again, the convenience, just being able to go online and get this done right before your trip when you might not otherwise have time to schedule a primary care visit. To the expertise point, primary care doctors often don't know the ins and outs of some of these medications you know, what's fallen out of favor versus the most current recommendations, specialty items like antimalarials or medication for altitude illness, primary care doctors might not be as comfortable with, and that's where we're very comfortable. So how can people get information and get in contact with Duration Health? It's very easy, durationhealth.com. You go online, get your kit before your trip. And again, the Kits include an online consultation with one of our physicians via video. And we also include a really neat kind of information sheet about your destinations. And so you get up to the minute health and safety information before you leave as well. So durationhealth.com, check it out and sign up. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. And thank you so much for the great information. We all want to continue to travel and see the world. And we want to make sure that we're doing so in the best way possible. Thank you so much, Javon. It's been a pleasure to be here. Ladies and gentlemen. This is Traveling Culturati. We explore cultures and destinations. We share travel news and travel tips to keep you well informed and prepared for your next travel adventure. So go ahead and up your travel game with Traveling Culturati. Visit TravelingCulturati.com for more information.